Well, hello, how's everybody doing? Fantastic. Uh, well, thanks for joining us here today. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here at Eastside City Church. And just before we get into the word, I just want to pray right now. So if you can join me. Father God, uh, thank you so much for who you are. You want to speak to us today, God. You want to touch our hearts. You want to change us, Lord. Would you just have your way today? And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. All right, uh, there is this series we're going through called uh, Things That I Wish Someone Had Told Me, and we're going through wisdom literature, and Proverbs is mostly where we've kind of been settling in at, and there's a really simple proverb I want to bring us to today, and it's Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 to 28, and it says this, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. Uh, have you ever heard someone say to you, leave it better than how you found it? Yeah. Okay, good. Okay, I wasn't sure if it was just how I grew up with my parents constantly uh, telling me that. Or it's also the industry that I've kind of been a part of uh, outside of the church where it's a lot of customer focus. And so uh, I, I just tend to hear that a lot, that idea about take ownership, leave it better than how you found it. So if somebody lends you their vehicle, don't give it back to them dirty and with an empty tank of gas. Fill it up, clean it up, give it a wash, hey, send it back, and uh, maybe they'll let you board again. Who knows? Um, uh, I remember I'd go to job sites, and we walk in, and, I mean, some job sites were just filthy, and then we would go in and make it even dirtier, and then at the end of the day, my dad would be like, clean it up, and I'd be like, what exactly, where do I start? Am I cleaning up my mess or the other mess? Like, what? He'd like, clean it all, leave it better than how you found it. And, uh, and so that was always the challenge. Uh, I remember as a youth pastor, we would go to youth camps, and, and sometimes you really can't leave it better than how you found it. It's sometimes, sometimes you're just like, I'm just going to try and give it back to you in as good of shape as you gave it. And that was most of the youth camps I went to. It was just like, I don't think we broke that much, but I'm sorry we owe you a light shade and a new game or something like that. And so sometimes it's not really a matter of like making it better. It's just a matter of, hey, you gave it to me in really good shape. I borrowed this. And so here it is. It's still in good shape and it's just as good. Well, uh, I, I think that it's not just a considerate thing to do. I think Jesus lived his life this way. I think Jesus was always making people better. He left their souls better than the way he found them. And so you, you see all through his ministry where all of a sudden, hey, at one point, he's there teaching and, and somebody just busts through the ceiling. Now, I don't know who was on the line for fixing the ceiling in this story, but when the man does come down and he's, he's a paralytic, he forgives him and then he heals him, makes it better. Now, another time, Jesus is just walking along his way and uh, this man comes up and he's like, hey, I need some help. Uh, my... My daughter isn't doing so good. Can you come and heal her? And he's like, man, okay, yeah, sure, let's do that. On his way, there's another lady that comes over and touches his robe, and she gets healed, and then he goes and, and helps the father as well with his daughter. Jesus was in the business of making people better and making things better. Don't believe me? One of Jesus' first miracles was turning water into wine. Jesus is in the business of making things better. Could you imagine that, though? Like somebody lends you their water bottle, and all of a sudden you're like, 
oh my goodness, there's not water in here anymore. That's crazy. Okay, thanks, man. <laughs> Lots of different things. But it's even in his mission statement. I've come that they may have life and life abundantly. He came and he died on the cross for our sins so that we could have an opportunity to be better. His sacrifice left, left us with the grace to be freer, to experience a better peace. He looks and he says this, Behold, I'm making all things new. Not just partially making things new. Not just a little bit. Not just the stuff that's easy to get at. I'm making all things new. And when he came to restore, he wasn't just saying, I'm just going after the healthy because they don't have any baggage. He said, no, I've come for the sick. I've come for those who need saving because I'm in the business of making things better. That's my God. In Luke 4, 18, Jesus says, This the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is in the business of making things better. Proverbs 3.27, do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow and then I'll help you. And I think if that was Jesus's business, then it makes sense that as Christians, we would never pass up an opportunity to make somebody else's life better. That Jesus through us that Jesus shining, we would look to impact other people's lives. That as we are in and out of their lives, we would look for opportunities to build them up, to strengthen them, to be a conduit of good and of hope. If it was for us, if it was for Jesus, it can be for us as well. Uh, why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, leave it better. Online, you can comment and say, hey, leave it better than I found it. All the spouses are like, all the wives are like, I have made him better. I've made him a lot better. If only you knew. We appreciate you, women. Have you, uh, have you heard the one about Barnabas? Barnabas in the Bible. He, he comes up kind of sparingly every once in a while. We, we hear him here and there. and Maybe it's, the name is familiar with you. And I want to take some time to look at the life of Barnabas a bit today. Because he just was one of those guys that looked to make people's lives better. And he kind of comes on the scene around uh, 35 to 40 AD. It's a hard story. Admittedly, it's, it's hard to really know because it's pieced throughout the entire New Testament. You've got to go to different stories and different books of the Bible to just really find out his entire life. But around 35 AD or 40 AD, we, we get this man, and he shows up in Jerusalem to the apostles there. And uh, if you were reading it in the Bible, you'd go to about Acts 9, 26, and you'd find this story where a man shows up, and he knocks on the door. Hey, guys, I'm here. I'm here to talk about Jesus. He's changed my life. So pumped to be here with you guys. And they are not at all excited for this gentleman to be coming in. You see, the, the person who walked in, for one thing, he hasn't really been around for the past couple years. I mean, two, three, four years, it's hard to know. But they do know him. They recognize him, 
is the man who stood by and gave approval when their best friend, Stephen, was murdered. He was the man who went all the way to the government and said, I want approval to lock up this group of people who believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead and they are crazy and they're spreading all sorts of rumors and lies. And if you just give me authority, I would like to throw them in prison. And even better, if we could kill some of them, I'd make a really good example. And he's given, he's given authority to do that. And so... Uh, so just as the disciples are about to kick this guy out, Barnabas steps up. Barnabas shows up. And Barnabas goes and he takes Paul out for a couple drinks that night and they, they catch up on things that have happened. Okay, I, I made that part up. They didn't actually, that's not in the Bible. But it just seems appropriate that they would maybe do something like that. They catch up. And uh, in, in Paul's story, he begins to tell Barnabas about everything that's happened and how Jesus touched his life on the road to Damascus and all the crazy things that have been happening for the past couple years and how he's just been learning and studying the Bible in a whole new way. Barnabas believes him. So much so that Barnabas goes back to the apostles in Jerusalem and say, hey, if, if you trust me, trust Paul, let's let him in. And he's let in. And that starts this unlikely journey, this friendship between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, we don't know much about Barnabas. He was from the island of Cyprus. I know that was one of your top five uh, vacation destinations that you probably had on your list this year as you're looking to go to Cyprus. But he, he's from this place and he originated from there. And he, he kind of weaved his way in in a lot of different ways. And from this story, their lives begin to interconnect. Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. And that's what he is. Barnabas makes people better. He sees the way they are, and he just says, I'm not going to leave you that way. Well, things continue. Paul does his thing, and church in Jerusalem continues to do their thing until at one point, the church in Jerusalem, all the apostles, they hear that there's something really weird happening in this place called Antioch. I know, your number two vacation place you were thinking about visiting. Cyprus and Antioch, that's where you were really thinking of going this year. And, and so they hear that there are some people over there and they are called something, something as we've never heard of before. They're called Christians. The very first place. And the Jews are like, we kind of get the whole Greek thing, follow Jesus, but we've never heard that term. And so they're like, what's going on? Well, it turns out that when Stephen was persecuted and ultimately killed, that people just scattered all over the Roman Empire. And people went all over. They went to this place called Antioch. And so there's some people from Cyprus and Cyrene. They went and they started a church in Antioch, and they would be the first people to be called Christians. Well, the people back in Jerusalem, the apostles are like, What's going on there? Do we, do we trust this? Is this legit? So they're like, who do we have that's from Cyprus? Because these guys are from Cyprus. So naturally, they're like, Barnabas. Barney, Barney, you, you hearing this? <laughs> Barnabas, do you know these guys from Cyprus? No, man, but if you want to send me, I'm all up for a free vacation. So they're like, sure. They send Barnabas all the way to Antioch. 
Well, he shows up in Antioch, and, and what does he do? Well, I'll, I'll get to the Bible since you're probably wondering if I use it at this point in my sermon. Acts, <laughs> Acts 11:23, it says this, when he, Barnabas, arrived, he saw what the grace of God had done. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their heart. A son of encouragement. He just begins to encourage them over the next couple months. Keep going. Don't give up. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. But Barnabas, he isn't done in Antioch. No, he comes up with a plan because he realizes that the church of Antioch, they, they need some help. I mean, it's a young church. They've got young leaders. They're not really sure what to do. And so he's thinking to himself, who do I know that's well-educated? Who do I know that is a good speaker, good educator? I know somebody, Paul. And so Barnabas goes all the way over to Tarsus. I know, I'm hitting your top five vacation spots today. <laughs> Cyprus and Antioch. And Tarsus. I just hold, held up four fingers in case some of you missed that. I only mentioned three. There's a pop quiz. Jerusalem was a fourth one. There you go. And so uh, Barnabas goes over to Tarsus. I don't know what he says to Paul, but he convinces Paul to stop his crucial work in Tarsus and come all the way over to the church in Antioch. And they begin an incredible ministry of building up the church in Antioch spends a couple years just encouraging and building them up and, uh, and go through all this stuff. And, and not just from there, they begin to go over the entire Roman Empire. And if you want to read about this because you're wondering if uh, where I'm getting this, this is all the way from Acts 9 to 15. You have to read that entire section, and in there you'll find things like, and then Paul went away with his companions. And then a little bit further down you'll find, and then Barnabas went and healed him. And oh, Barnabas was with him, and, and it's all throughout there. I, I, I'm just thinking the conversations they must have had. Scholars have a difficult time trying to figure out just how long they were together for, but conservatively speaking, they would say around 10 years. 10 years of traveling the Roman Empire, doing ministry together, starting up churches, encouraging other churches, Think of the conversations they must have had just traveling on desert roads, running away from bandits, running away from people who are trying to kill them, running to other places, just ministering. Just imagine the stories they would have there, just getting to different places. And I think Barnabas was just the ultimate hype guy. They would just show up in town, and Barnabas was just like, hey, have you guys heard about Jesus? Oh, come on over. Come here, Paul. He's going to be speaking tonight at the theater. Hey, have you heard about Jesus? Oh, man, you're sick. Hey, come on over. We'll get you healed later. Hey, Barnabas is going to, uh, I'm Barnabas. This is Paul. He's going to be talking tonight. I mean, he was he was just hyping Paul up. But in Acts 15, something happens. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. It's a really bad disagreement. So bad that they split up. And I, I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. You see, Barnabas was never one to give up on people. And Barnabas, 
had a cousin named Mark. But Mark was rough around the edges. And so Barnabas said, come on in and tried to take him under his wing. And on one of the trips, it, we're not exactly sure, but it seems that the Mark just deserted them. Things got tough. It gets real when all of a sudden somebody wants to take your life because of what you believe. And Mark says, that's a little too much heat for me. I'm going home. I'm having a vacation. Heading back to Cyprus. So he leaves Paul and Barnabas. And uh, when Paul and Barnabas are ready to go on their next missionary journey, Barnabas turns to Paul and he, he's kind of like, hey, uh, I, want you to, I want you to take Mark again. I want us to go figure this out. And uh, Paul won't have any of it. No, we're, we're not taking Mark. He, he's not, he's not, we can't count on him. He, he deserted us. I mean, that's, I don't want to travel with somebody like that. Barnabas, no, man, like, come on, we got, we got to believe in people. Come on, we're, we're in the business of restoration and building people up and discipling people. Come on, we got to believe in Mark here. Don't give up on him yet. Paul doesn't have anything to do with it. So they split. And that's when you hear of Barnabas and Mark go off and they minister somewhere else. And Paul takes on somebody else that you might have heard of before, which is Silas. So Paul and Silas go and they begin to do ministry together. And I think that this is a really fascinating side note because this is one of, one of the divisions in the church that didn't end in callousness or bitterness or offense. It ended in multiplication. It ended up in Barnabas going and doing ministry and it being really effective and Paul going and doing ministry with somebody else and it being really effective which could probably be a whole other message just on how we handle confrontation and disunity in the body of Christ. But I'll leave that for another message. What we see, um, well, what we don't see is we don't see another Paul and Barnabas reunion for the rest of the Bible. Ten years of ministry together. And we... We don't hear of another vacation together at all. I, I would imagine that if the New Testament was about Paul and Barnabas, we would hear more about it. We would hear about the backstory. We would hear about all these other things, but it's not. We know that's not what the gospel message is about. And so we don't exactly know what happened. We know that they don't talk bad about each other. We don't hear about separate letters and hear their beef that they each had with one another, which tells us that at some point they must have realized that, hey, we disagree here, but we can agree to disagree and go on our own ways. But there is something interesting that gets brought up. And you have to go all the way to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 to find it. It's a really small note. Paul is writing to Timothy, somebody that he raised up, somebody that he discipled. And he's, he's made this list of, <laughs> of people who've kind of run away in ministry on him. And there's one person that's mentioned, but not in the way you would expect. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 11, Paul says to Timothy, only Luke is with me, but get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. And I can't help but think that Barnabas' fingerprints are all over that. 
because he was one of those guys that just made people better. And he would have matured Barnabas and he would have stayed with him and he didn't give up on him. And he said, here's what it means to be a man of God. Here's what it means to persevere in trials and tribulations. So much so that at one point, Paul said, I don't want anything to do with Mark. But we now have this moment where Paul says, he is incredibly useful to me. Please bring him back. The more I reflect Jesus to others, the more we lead people to the person of Jesus. And we want to make people better. In the early church, there is this opening scene where church is just getting started in Acts 2 to 4. And they mention at one point that people go, and you, you've, if you've read this, or you've probably heard sermons about it, where people sold their property and gave it to those who had need. It's a cool story. There's, there's actually only one person that's mentioned specifically who gave their property away and sold it. Actually, that's not entirely true. There was Ananias and Sapphira, but they were a very bad example, so uh, it didn't really <laughs> go very well for them in that story. So uh, let's stick with the positive one. There's one person who sold all of his property. Theologians believe that the reason Barnabas is mentioned over anybody else is because he was probably the first one who started the cascade that would end with many people selling their belongings so that nobody would be in need. And I think that's really neat. I love Barnabas because he's one of those guys that is so unnoticed and undervalued. We're, we're told oftentimes to hustle hard in this world. We're told to, to make a name for yourself and go hard, and hey, if you're just faithful, then eventually God will exalt you and lift you up. And that's true. But there's also a lot of value in just building others up. And Barnabas, he, he doesn't, doesn't write his own book that ends up in the New Testament. He doesn't really make it into a lot of the top ten disciples in the Bible. But there he is. So much of his life is just about improving people and raising other people up. And so in the midst of all the things that we're told in life, that the we can learn about how to self-help and to, to go and make a name for yourself and hustle hard, I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm not saying there isn't a, pla there isn't a place for ambition and goals and drive. But in the midst of all that, are we building one another up? Look at Barnabas. What if he hadn't sold his property? What would the early church have said then? What would have happened if he didn't vouch for Paul in those early days and he gets shunned from all ministry? What happens to the church in Antioch that he believes in and would later become a pillar in the Roman Empire? And what happens to Mark if he just left Mark to leave. I'm not saying work less or give less effort. I'm saying let's not undervalue the power of building one another up. And I think that's my prayer. 
God, would you help me be okay being inconvenienced to make someone better? God, would you help me be more intentional about building one another up, about saying an encouraging word? Let me find purpose. Let me find great purpose and significance in making people better. Well, I, I have a, a friend named Josh. I, I love Josh, and we met in college. We met under some really interesting circumstances because he actually became uh, my wife's friend's first name. We were dating at the time. I was dating my wife, Rachel. And uh, I, Josh came into our life, and I thought he was trying to move in on Rachel and I. And so I got really close to Josh because I was like, I don't think so. And so I... I I went in there, and I was all like, hey, man, see, you're getting close to my girlfriend. And uh, I, I was not going to have any of that. But in the midst of getting closer to Josh, he became my best friend. And I realized he was just a fantastic guy. Josh made my life better and still does to this day. He, he didn't give up on people, didn't give up on me. I remember I've probably taken him to the gym like half a dozen times. And he would always say, man, I hate going to the gym. And I just thought he meant that as like everybody says that. Everybody hates going to the gym. Nobody's like, oh, I can't wait to go to the gym. Everybody hates the gym. And one day I was like, dude, you always say that. He's like, no, like I legitimately hate going to the gym. He's like, I, I wouldn't do any of this if you weren't going. I was like, Really? He's like, yeah. I was like, well, like, why do you come then? He's like, I just like the conversations we have. It's like, you are a good friend because I don't know if I'm that good of a friend. <laughs> He's just a good guy. I remember we'd study together. We'd encourage each other. We, would just, we just did life together. And even to this day, there are times when I will call him up and I'm just like, Man, I can't believe what it's like being a pastor. You would not believe. And he's a pastor, so he's like, trust me, I believe you. And we, we just swap stories, and we'll just pour out our hearts to each other. And I'll be like, man, I, I can't believe this, and uh, this is going good, but, man, this is difficult. And I, I don't think there's been a single conversation that I've left where I haven't felt more encouraged, that I haven't felt like I can just keep going because he just makes people better than how he found them. And I can't help but think that that's what our community should be here, that that's what the body of Christ wants to be, that our, our husbands are looking to make our wives better, our children better. Our wives are looking to make our husbands and our children better. Our children are looking to make us better. We're looking to make our coworkers better, our neighbors better. I think this, that life is lived in the tension of the inconvenient. Because so many of the miraculous things you see in the New Testament were never planned. They just happen to come along. Transformation in life happens in the inconvenient. I really want to be Barnabas, but I also know I still lose my temper. I know I still don't want to be convenienced. I know that I am still selfish at times. 
And so my prayer is, God, help me reflect to you more. That this isn't something I do on my own strength. That I'm not trying to make people better because I feel so superior myself. But rather, I would just realize and lean on my Savior, a good God, and say, God, how can I reflect more of you to others? I know that it can be difficult as well because some of us have done this and we've had our goodwill taken advantage of. Maybe people have done that in the past. Maybe it can get tiring because you don't see the fruit of it. But I realize this, that as Christians who want to become more like Jesus, this isn't something we do, it's who we are. Life is lived in the tension of the inconvenient. Do not withhold good from those who deserve it when it's in your power to help them. If you can help your neighbor now, don't say, come back tomorrow, and then I'll help you. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for your word. It is alive and living and active inside of our heart and inside of our spirit. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you call us to be, God, and as imperfect as we are, God, and we blow it sometimes, I thank you that your grace is there and your power is there. Thank you so much that even this week you are giving us our new strength and a new hope, even a new vision to see opportunities where we saw challenges. Father God, you're working on me, you're working on us, that God, we would be a community that makes, makes people better than how we found them, that we reflect you and your spirit and your heart and your words, that we would be your hands and feet, God. Thank you so much for this in your precious name. Amen. Hey, church, thank you so much for being with us today. If you have any questions, you want to start a relationship with Jesus, I'd love to talk to you. You can leave us some comments in the section as well online. Hope you have a great week. God bless. Take care.